0: Hi Abby. Hi Brianna. We haven't recorded in like six months.
1: Yeah um I know our audience may be like what? Abby you just put out an episode. Well besties. (laughs) Back out put on the back burner but then I was like let's just reframe this so it's not that I waited because I just didn't do it it's because we wanted to have a great opening for quote-unquote season two.
0: Yes, it was definitely on purpose. The hiatus was like super planned and everything. Mhm. Mhm. It's funny because uh, there were no like <laughs> weird life events that happened in between oh, March when yeah, we recorded this like, and September, which is now. <laughs> I was thinking that,
1: but first of all, yes, yeah, season 2 it was very it was very planned, of course. Um that's why last episode you'll be t- hearing me talk about like Going to see BB. I went in April.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, it was a good trip. It was hot as hell in my apartment because they hadn't turned the AC on yet and it was like unseasonably warm. Mm-hmm. And we watched a lot of Outlander. That's pretty much the summary of that. We sure did. We, we went to the Mall of America and everything was closed. That's true because it was like Easter. Yeah.
1: Um, I taught BB how to play Minecraft. We beat the block. Oh, game. yeah, that was super fun. Yep. <laughs> And now she never has to touch a video game again ever. <laughs> yeah, some some life events have happened. Um should we go chronologically? Sure. I feel like yours is is more exciting. So <laughs> <laughs> Um so I moved to the big city, the big apple.
0: Mhm. She um, did. she made a almost spur of the moment decision to move to New York. I did. It took, the whole process took like less than a month, <laughs> including <laughs> you deciding to move to New York. This is all true. I think like
1: May 8th or something, I decided to move to New York and I moved in on May 31st. <laughs> um, but I think I have known for a long time deep down in my heart. It's just that I didn't um I didn't accept the truth. Yeah, you were being to honest to with yourself. Yeah, I really wasn't um But now I'm here, and it's been okay. Um, I'm very, very glad I moved here. But the city is still kind of shut down, and there's, like, not a lot of opportunities right now because of COVID. So it's not just, like, normal starving actor, but it's, like, nothing is running because of COVID still. Um, So that kind of sucks. Yeah, it's
0: not, like, the normal unemployment. It's, like, the COVID unemployment still. (laughs) Exactly,
1: (laughs) yeah. So it's been okay, but I think... In the next couple months, it will start picking up, and I think it's good I'm here, so I'm not like brand new to the city when I start actually being able to go out for things. Um, but yeah, I moved to New York. I did the thing. I've been here. We're living,
0: and yeah. that's that's my and update. you've and you've done stuff too. Like you have, like had auditions and like yes, I have. You're working I worked, on a show. Um, you got to be an extra.
1: Yeah, I was an extra on Sex in the City. Um, I saw Cynthia Nixon and Sarah Jessica Parker in person. It was so wild, and I had a great time. So, yeah, I'm doing things. We're fine. <laughs> uh, I turned 22, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> That's, that was my summer. What about you, Brianna? Anything, anything new?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I finished my first year of grad school, and I had exams that were horrible, that the feedback I get back in two weeks from now, woohoo, and then I have to revise them. Um, I try not to think about that too much. Um, and I was just kind of vibing all summer, working on some research and then just chilling out as well. And in August, like three weeks ago now, I got engaged. <gasps> I think that moving to New York is more exciting because that's like a life change. Like, an engagement is a life event, but, like, moving is a life change. Although Mm. we did move last year, so, like, it's kind of, I don't know, all in the same realm of events. I don't know what I'm saying. But, yeah, um, I'm not getting married for a while, though, so. Yeah. Even though, like, you don't support my lifestyle. Oh,
1: wow. Well, speaking of, um exciting engagements. The Hunger Games is an annual event put on by the (laughs) Capitol to remind the people of Panem the cost of uprising. And on this edition of What's Next with Abby and Brianna, we're going to discuss the whole trilogy. Uh, Now you may be thinking, hey Abby and Brianna, didn't you do one episode for one Twilight book? (laughs) Yeah we did,
0: but we're going to That's because Twilight is bad. (laughs) (laughs) and we literally had no like prior experience with twilight so yeah
1: it's a little bit different that was totally (laughs) that was on like a very different level because that was just a very base level introduction to the book whereas this time we are cultured experts we were pre-teens in 2011 we we know what all this is about so as with twilight i read the books and bb watched the movies um so I listen to the audiobooks because I don't like actually reading. Um, well, it is actual reading, but I don't like reading books that are... With your eyeballs. Physical copies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, unless that's the only option for said book.
0: Um, and for me, watching TV is the same as reading. <laughs> yeah. As a PhD student, I think it was in, like, a comedy I was watching recently. It might have been, it might have been Hacks, but it might have been something else where, like, um, I don't know what it was, but they are talking about, like, how far removed, like, media on TV is from you versus, like, staring at your phone all day, you know? So it's, like, how it's supposedly bad to look at your phone, like, too much. But we've reached a point as a society that just, like, watching TV is basically, like, reading a book. And I'm like, (laughs) that's me. (laughs) That's my my excuse for everything, despite being a PhD student.
1: Yeah. Oopsies. (laughs) Okay. Hunger Games are classics. It really is
0: research. Um... Oh, do we want to talk about our, like, prior experience with yeah it, that's quick. a good idea you can go first yeah so I obviously I was a teen slash preteen when the first movie came out um I saw the first movie like around the time it came out with one of my friends and I can't remember if I read the book before or after that I genuinely don't remember but I read the first book and then the second book, which is Catching Fire, and part of Mockingjay, but never finished reading Mockingjay. I don't even know if I got, like, halfway through it. And I had only ever seen the first movie up until now, so, like, watching Catching Fire and Mockingjay Part 1 and 2 was the first time that I had seen totally. those movies. Even though, like, I knew what happened in Catching Fire, but I didn't remember it that well, so...
1: Um, I believe I first read the book shortly before the movie came out, because it was, like, really, really popular. So I I got it from my local library and read it, and I really liked it. Um, but I think I mostly liked it because all my friends liked it.
0: Yep, yep, (laughs) that's why I was into it. That's, like, the only reason, and that's why I didn't finish Mockingjay, because I just, like, or see any of the movies, because I just, like, any of the other movies, because I just, like, lost interest, because it was, like, really only something that I liked because of like, my friends, just, like, watching, like, Doctor Who or something. Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: I have this, like, really distinct memory of standing with my bestie at the time in dance class and, um, talking about how we were going to go see the Hunger Games movie, and we were standing there, and we were like, oh, my God, PETA. I can't wait to see him on the big screen. He's so hot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, anyways, I was, like, super into it, and then, um... I only read the first book, I saw Catching Fire when it came out in theaters with a different friend, and I swear I saw Mockingjay Part 1 in theaters, but I can't like, I feel like I can picture myself sitting in the movie theater watching it, but it's so hazy that like, I had no idea what really happened in that book other than they like travel and it gave me like a Star Wars vibe, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I read the first book, watched the first two movies, and maybe the third movie, um, but I did have an extensive Heifey phase. Oh yeah. <laughs> As we all did, I'm sure, or most of us. I guess it was maybe either a Finnick phase or a Heifey phase. Yeah. You only get one or the other, sorry guys.
0: Yeah, if you're like me and Abby and think Haymitch is hot, you probably had a Hayfee phase. <laughs> if yeah. you are not like us, then maybe not. But maybe you did. Who knows? I don't remember what really
1: drove my Hayfee phase. I think it was because Haymitch is a lot like a character that I wrote with my friend, who is also a lot like Sawyer from Lost. It's just like that snarky sad man like that is my favorite type yeah of character. just like
0: jaded man
1: yeah i fucking love that character type except for snape but he's just an asshole he's he has no, he's like, just an
0: incel that's yeah, different
1: he doesn't have the, the comedic element to him um so yeah that that's our history
0: yeah Opposites attract, as I've recently reflected upon, I think is like my favorite trope. So like that tracks with Hey Mitch and Effie. Totally. It's interesting. I didn't think about that.
1: Um, okay, moving on. We're going to talk about the books. We're going to go one book well slash film at a time and kind of break it down Um, talk about the differences between the movie and the book. Our favorite scenes, our least favorite scenes, and the like. So, book one, The Hunger Games. Um, The Hunger Games starts with the reaping. Katniss volunteers for her little sister Prim, and she must go fight in The Hunger Games, which is essentially a battle royale where 24 teenagers are put into an arena and the last one standing wins the games um and it's done because there was this uprising slash rebellion 75-ish years ago and the capital puts two kids from each district into the games each year to remind everyone of the um the cost of rebellion essentially
0: yeah and basically like you suffering in this arena is like to remind you what the capital has done for you which Mm -hmm. sure (laughs) which seems like nothing because they all seem to be poor to me but you know we'll get Mm -hmm. there
1: (laughs) yeah we'll get there we'll get there katniss the protagonist eventually allies with her partner from her district peta And it's announced that there can be two victors if they are from the same district. So they fight to the end, and when it's the two of them standing, the people in charge of the game say, actually, there can only be one. They have these poisonous berries. They threaten to eat them to kill themselves. And then the games are halted, and there are two victors. Um, And the book basically ends with them finding out that the president, President Snow, is not very happy that they rebelled in such a way. And that's pretty much the plot, first one. Like, at a glance.
0: Yeah, and part of the reason that the game makers and the capital kind of go back and forth on it is that, like, um, Hey Mitch, who's mentoring Katniss and um, Peta, and... I don't know, some other people. I don't really remember whose idea it is to create, like, a love story between them. I think it's Hamish's, but I could be wrong. Um, Is that, like, basically to make Katniss more likable, um, she and Peta kind of have to have this, like, romance. So then the game makers were like, oh, you know, this is going to be more interesting if they end up not being able to kill each other. And then they're like, oh, wait, never mind, because they... Because it's all just a it's all just a silly game to the people in the capital. Like they don't give a shit, because they wanted you know you know they want to make interesting TV. So
1: for the first book, I took some notes for like every five chapters. So I'm just gonna start kind of going through these. Um, so first of all, there is so much fucking bird lore in the first couple chapters of this book. So we are told about the mutations. Jabberjays were genetically engineered and used as spies during the original uprising, and then the Jabberjays mated with female mockingbirds, and that's where mocking jays come from. But the next thing that, like, really got me, um, I told Baby about this because I couldn't wait, but on the train, um, Himich is drunk, and he throws up, and Pita takes him to clean him, um, and once he gets like Hamish into the shower and is like about to start undressing him, Peter says to Katniss that he can handle it from there, and Katniss thinks, "I'm a little grateful. I hardly want to strip Hamish down and clean the vomit out of his chest hair. I'm pondering the reason why he insists on taking care of Hamish, and all of a sudden I think it's because he's being kind. Ah, wow! It kills me, like." I don't feel, from what I remember from the movies, that they captured Peter's kindness enough at all.
0: There are so many
1: amazing moments where it's like, he just does this because he's a nice person. And he is probably the only nice person in these books, period. Aside from, like, Prim, maybe. Yeah. So, seeing him in contrast to Katniss... Is so fascinating. Um, And this book is told in first person, too. I know I told you that, but I think it's important because it adds... It adds some context, but also explains why there are plot holes. And it's because it's from Katniss's point of view. Um, Another quote that I really like... My mother always said, I eat as if I'd never see food again. And I said, I won't unless I bring it home. That shut her up. Oh. Yeah um in act one there's so much of katniss just like hating her mother and holding a grudge against her for not being there for her and prim after her dad died and for katniss having to be the one to care for her and i don't know man that hit me i was like
0: oh oh yeah that's like not really present in the movie at all um Like, the focus is way more on, like, her protecting Prim. Like, I didn't really detect any, like, I don't know, like, weird feelings. Not weird feelings, but, like, negative feelings toward her mom. Even though, like, I did, like, a part of it is, like, that she has to provide for the family. So, like, that part was clear, but not necessarily, like, the feelings toward her mom. Yeah, I think the biggest hint we
1: get of it is, well... I, I can't remember now if it's fully in the movie, but when they're saying goodbye to Katniss before she gets on the train, she tells her mother, like, she has to stay strong. She can't disappear again. You have to be there for Prim. Um, that's oh. because, like, her mother completely shut down after her dad died. And yeah. so she, like... Yeah, she just didn't provide for her kids at all during that time because she was grieving and she just
0: shut yeah. down. Does it say how her dad died? Yeah, in a mine accident. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That could be in the movie and I just forgot.
1: Um, okay, moving on a little bit. In the book, it's stated that as Katniss is starting to get into her costumes and everything for the parade, she makes a comment about how the new um, designers are always stuck with District 12 because no one wants ex- District 12. But Sinna says, no, I asked for District 12. We are never told why. I mean, we can assume, I guess, that he wants some sort of uprising. He's Maybe he's rooting for the underdog. I don't know, but we yeah. are not told. Um so that particular comment was odd to me. I don't know if it was just so that we would trust Cinna and maybe be like, oh, he's not like other Capitol people. He's, he's different. And then right after the parade, um, there's lines about how um, Katniss was like so successful because mostly because of the work Cinna did. And Effie has been able to get a lot of support from people at the Capitol. Why hasn't Effie gotten support from the Capitol before? Like, did it take a snazzy outfit to do it? Or like, did she just not fucking try? I don't know.
0: <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make sense to me. I think it, like, probably just feeds into, like, somehow Katniss is the chosen one. Um, but it doesn't really seem to come from anywhere except for the fact that she volunteered for her sister. Because that's what makes her like exceptional. From I'm gonna previous put, tributes,
1: I'm going to put a pin in that, and we'll come back to that. Yeah. When we get to like the themes, um, I'm going to write that exact thing down because.
0: Yeah, woof, I, I do know we you. I know you have thoughts say. on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm just saying from like a literary standpoint, like for sure.
1: Another great quote that always sticks with me when I read the book that's not in the movie is um, Katniss's, like, servant while she's in this training center is um, a girl who's an AVOX. I don't recall if she's shown in the movie at all, but basically what happened was two kids ran away from, I believe, District 12, and Gail and Katniss saw them, like, running through the woods, um, and then they were, like, picked up by a hovercraft and taken by the Capitol, and now that girl is um her servant, and she had her tongue cut out. And Katniss just stood there and didn't do anything to try and help her. So Katniss is wondering if the girl recognizes her. And the quote in the book is, You don't forget the face of the person who was your last hope. I wonder if she'll enjoy watching me die. Oh. And I love that line, especially the yeah. like, the second part. I wonder if she'll enjoy watching me die. I was like, oh, fuck.
0: Yeah. I think that is in the movie. That sounds familiar to me. Not, like, the line, obviously, because it's just her internal monologue, but, like, the scene. The girl. Totally. Yeah. Um,
1: okay. You had mentioned before Pita's like, backstory, yada yada. Pita's dad knew Katniss's mom. And he, like, loved her and wanted to marry her. But then she got together with Katniss's dad instead. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. Hmm. That's interesting. So we're in actual games now. I want to know, how the fuck does Katniss lay in a sleeping bag in a tree?
0: You know, I really did have this thought when I was watching the movie is like, how do you sit on it? And the way she's positioned in the scene is like she has her back up against the trunk Right. And then her legs on one of the branches, and that's how she sleeps. So basically, like sitting up on a tree, I have mm-hmm. absolutely no clue. I guess like the only thing is like when you are that exhausted, it doesn't really matter. But I don't know how she didn't fall out of the tree. She she straps herself
1: against the oh, tree. Oh, okay. Yeah, she has a, like, a belt thing. So she does strap herself to the tree. I think I'm more interested in the mechanics of using a sleeping bag because it always mentions her, like, in a sleeping bag, but in a tree.
0: Yeah, and and it's like, how do you do that without being able to, like, separate your feet from each other? Like, you can't move a whole lot when you're inside a sleeping bag in order to get, like, situated and stuff. And then the other thing is...
1: Later on, Katniss shares her sleeping bag with Rue, again, in a tree. So there's not one, but two people sleeping (laughs) in a sleeping bag in a tree.
0: You gotta do what you gotta do to stay safe, I guess. I guess
1: so. I am curious to know if the bread gift is in the movie, because I can't remember it, but I might just be
0: forgetting. Is it a gift by, are you talking about like a gift by somebody from the Capitol?
1: Yeah, the sponsor gift after Rue dies, and it's
0: bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. The only note I put down is that like people started riot. They show people rioting in District Eleven after Rue is killed, and it looks like a mill is being burned down. I'm not what the pro- not. I don't remember what the profession is for District Eleven, but I'm assuming it's like. It was a mill, so I'm assuming it's like. Grain, Yeah, they have grain in orchards. Yeah. So it would make sense that bread was mailed in, but I didn't make a note about that. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, so after Katniss um, lays Rue to rest, she gets a delivery, and it's, like, a single piece of bread, or, like, a roll from District 11, um, and... Katniss thinks, this is a first, a gift to a tribute from a district, not their own. Um, So District 11 sent that to Katniss to thank her. Or the bread was meant to be for Rue, but she died, so Hamish saw that it was sent to Katniss instead. Katniss isn't totally sure. Another gift that Katniss gets is sleeping syrup, and she gives it to Peeta, So that he falls asleep so she can go to the cornucopia for the feast. Um, My complaint here, what the fuck is he going to do to stop her? (laughs) Like, he's literally dying in a cave. Yeah. Just stand up and leave. (laughs) I don't understand why she had to knock him out. I can see maybe it's just a plot device to show that, like, if she wants something, she has to give Hamish what he wants from her. So, she, like, kisses Peta and has, like, a heart-to-heart with him before that, and then she gets sent the syrup. So, I can see maybe it's for that, but, like, she already gets sent food, like, twice for that reason. So, I don't really... I don't know. That just didn't make sense to me. I don't really know, man. Lastly... So this goes for all three books, but this is about the composition of the book itself. Um, I find it really interesting because Suzanne Collins follows a very, very strict three-act structure. It's a three-act, 27-chapter structure. And it's like, if you look up how to write a three-act novel, how to outline a three-act book, this is exactly what comes up. It's like the three-act, 27 chapters... Uh, nine act, nine chapters per act. Sure enough, all three books are exactly twenty seven chapters. They're even labeled part one, part two, part three. Um yeah. And I just, I think that's so interesting. I don't know why. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But also, like, how do you write something that structured? Don't know, man. Really makes you think. When
0: you when you find out, let me know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I will. Um, I'm. I mean, I can understand outlining like that, but actually making it to like the finished, publishable book like that. I mean, maybe that's where some of my gripes in later books come in. We'll get there. (laughs) But I just wanted to mention. Yeah,
0: and part of it is also probably just it being a young adult novel. I don't know. I mean, That's just maybe, my guess. But there's like but plenty also, of other young there's adult There's plenty of poorly are- written or non structural young adult novels, so.
1: Right. Yeah. Like the structure of it just feels like something a 16 year old would write during NaNoWriMo. And like, I don't mean that as a bad thing, because I love 16 year olds who write during NaNoWriMo. That's me. But <laughs> I was just very surprised that all three books were able to maintain that exact structure. Yeah. What's your favorite scene from the first movie?
0: Um... I mean, the first movie is pretty iconic. So, even though, like, I think most people agree that it's not the be- objectively the best or most well-made movie in the franchise, um, it, you know, it's, it's the Hunger Games. It's very iconic. Um... I think I got most excited about like when they almost eat the berries and then they get interrupted and then they're told that it could be like it could be two victors like again after they had changed their minds the first time uh, because I had forgotten about that and I was like oh, shit, they're being really subversive, and then it's like, never mind. Um, so I I liked that one, I guess. I don't know. I feel like there's just so much in all of these movies that I'm... And it could just be, like, my mental state right now is, like, not allowing me to, like, focus on anything more than, like, a general response to things, but... Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I... Like the whole first movie because it's like all of the inciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Good job, Bestie. Very helpful. Sorry. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> Sorry, I'm like I can't. I can't. I mean, I like the scenes with like Hamish and the train car. Um, that is mahogany. Yeah, yeah, that is iconic. Um, so I guess. That's, that's all. Um,
1: I think my favorite chapter, I want to say it's chapters 16 and 17. Um, but that's when Katniss is allied with Rue. Um, and I found that sequence to be the best part of the book, hands down. Um, so she first meets Rue when she's running away um, after being burned. Or after the Tracker Jackers. I can't remember. I think she has many injuries by that point. And Rue gives her some leaves to help her heal. They become allies. They plan together how to, like, blow up all the careers stuff. That whole sequence through Rue's death and then through getting the bread gift is, like, excellent. Those chapters were definitely my favorite, possibly, of the whole series, to be honest.
0: Yeah. It's so sad. Yeah. Not to to point out the obvious, but it's really sad when the (laughs) 12-year-old dies. Yeah, who'd have thought? (laughs) Yeah, and well, it's just, like, it's very clear that Katniss imagines Rue as prim, because Mm -hmm. they're the same age, so, like, she feels this, like, responsibility toward her. Um, Yeah, it's real sad. Um, What about your least favorite part? I... It's not a least favorite, but the whole, like, beginning with the reaping is just, like, so unsettling and upsetting that I'm, like... And just, like, the camera work, too, is very shaky. That I'm just, like, mmm. But obviously, like, it's not from, like, a... I don't think that was a good scene. It's more of, like, it's hard to watch.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Reading it, I hated the last, like chapter of the book. I just wanted it to end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I sent Vivi a Snapchat. I was like listening to the book on two times speed just to get it over with faster. Cause like yeah, you were like,
0: I don't need a denouement.
1: <laughs> yeah. <I laughs> no was like, more denou. Denouement.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And maybe I'd feel differently if I hadn't seen the movie. Um, and like this was a new story I needed to know how it ended. But I was just like, I don't care. And at a certain point I felt like Hmm. I'm going to put a pin in that. I'm I'm going to I'm putting a pin in that. We'll I hope you
0: that remember later. that pin. We're I will. we're stacking pin some out. pins here. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, are.
1: Cool. Anything else in book 1?
0: I just kind of wonder and maybe there's more detail about this in the book, but like what exactly was the uprising because the like, by virtue of this being a dystopian novel, you assume that the state of Panem in The Hunger Games is not how it was before. So, like, after the uprising, Panem became like, it... Right. So... Um, And, like, this is the capital's reaction to the uprising was that basically gets organized into districts we find out later there's a lost district um and everybody in the capital is wealthy and everybody in the districts are laborers that provide goods for themselves but also for the capital um so i guess i'm just wondering like what was the uprising? And was it like against an oppressive government?
1: Yeah, so or the not? uprising, <laughs> the uprising itself was against the capital. It was against the current government that's still in place.
0: Oh, okay. So then the capital essentially just like doubled down on the oppressiveness. Yes. So it didn't become something else. It was always no, this way. It just got worse. Because yeah, so there was the
1: quote-unquote dark days, um, and this is all after, like, modern civilization collapses. So there's our current real-life American government collapses. It's, we don't, um, we're never told how, it just, we accept that it does. Um, the capital is formed, the districts are formed, and then sometime later, there's an uprising against it. Um, the capital wins the uprising and further cements itself into this totalitarian state. And then the Hunger Games are started. Gotcha. Um, District 13 was destroyed during that uprising.
0: Okay, that's good to know. Because I was just like, what exactly was like the nature of the uprising that happened? But that makes sense.
1: Yeah, we're never really told like exactly what caused it or anything like that um book two slash movie two Catching Fire the second book in the trilogy follows Katniss after the events of the first Hunger Games she was in um, which were the 74th annual Hunger Games and first we see her Victor tour with PETA where there are rising tensions in the districts then President Snow announces that for this year's Quarter Quell, which is a special Hunger Games that happens every 25 years, the tributes will be reaped from previous victors from each district. And because Katniss is the only woman who has ever won in District 12, at least who's still alive, um, she knows that she will have to go back. She does go back, um... And then she is, uh, the, the arena kind of like blows up and she escapes. And we learn there's no more District 12. And that's the end of Catching Fire.
0: Yeah, I'm curious what you think about pacing. Because wasn't this the one that you said just like drags on? And you're like, why isn't the games until Act 3? Um, yeah, I was, I was just very surprised by that. Yeah, to me, it didn't feel that way so much in the movie, but all of the movies are long, so it's, like, the third act of the book as it corresponds to the movie is still, like, long-aff. I feel like, maybe this is, like, a general comment, is that there's just, like... I feel like there's so much... Exposition in all of these, and maybe again, maybe that's just because the movies are longer than regular movies, but that's kind of what I was feeling with, like, not so much one, but kind of still, but definitely with two and three. I was like,
1: Yeah, um, no, I feel the same way when we talk about the trilogy as a whole. I guess I'll dive into it a little bit yeah. more.
0: And but it's like I there's so much exposition agree. and yet there's plot holes. So it's like, what have you been doing this whole time? <laughs> like a struggle. Yeah.
1: So in in the book, um, based on like the audiobook, it gives you a percentage how far in you are, you know. Mm-hmm. Katniss does not enter that arena until like 67, 68% of the way through Catching Fire, which is fine. It's just that like the whole victor's tour took up so much space and really didn't accomplish that much it's just so much exposition
0: yeah it could have been like one scene and then like hey inciting incident like all they needed to do was establish that like katniss and PETA have been on a victory tour something that warmed
1: my little heart is when Bebe was watching Catching Fire, she sent me a <laughs> clip of Joanna Mason, and she was like, why do I feel like you would love this bitch?
0: <laughs> just, yeah, I do. Immediately, I was like, Abby loves her. I don't even have to ask. I know. <laughs> oh, Joanna
1: Mason, man. Um, I was very disappointed by her in the book. It may have just been the reader, though. I'm not going to throw this on the author. Or necessarily the reader. I'm not saying, like, fuck her. But she played Joanna as, like, very, like, quote-unquote girly and, like, sweet. And it just didn't really, like, sit in the way that snarky, sexy movie Joanna does. Yeah. So it, I was, like, kind of taken aback by it. But it was still great. I think um, movie Joanna is, like, god tier. I think she's superior. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about that. I don't know that I have a favorite scene in this one, to be totally honest with you. I guess, if anything, the ending where she starts to, like, take the wire to the water and then Joanna attacks her and she hears screaming and she doesn't know where PETA is and then she finally, like, fires the arrow. So, really, like, the last five minutes of the movie... And this book, counter to the previous one, has no denouement. Okay, I mean, she hit that chapter 27. She's like, I can't write another one. That's against the rules.
0: That's like, um, I think it was like an advice for academic writing, but it could be writing in general, of like when you're writing a manuscript, cut the last 10 pages out. Because the thing is, like, odds are you've said more than what you need to say. So I think that's what Suzanne Collins did. I, yeah, I agree. I liked the end a lot. And Katniss slaps Haymitch, which in the movie is great. Because, basically, like, he, at that point, she thinks Peeta is dead. Um, and he's not. And, like basically she was like you broke your promise because he said that he would do everything to keep Pete alive and she's under the impression that he's dead oh there's some good quotes i actually wrote down there's the scene where like they're in the arena and they're all in the forest and stuff and they start hearing jabberjays with the sound of like the voices of their loved one loved ones so like there's one that sounds like Prim screaming for Katniss, and then one that sounds like Annie screaming for Finnick. Um, and it's to like mess with them. And then Joanna says they can't hurt me. There's no one that I love. I'm like, damn. Yeah, Joanna's just got layers. Like, she's got some shit going on. Like, I would I would be into like a Joanna spin-off because she's also like the first person person really that i was really thinking like hmm she's she's ready for an uprising like she's she's trying to stoke some fires here she's not too thrilled with what everything has come to um and is like obviously like extremely resentful of like her past with the hunger games so um yeah i just think that it would be interesting to know more about like her background and her experiences yeah what else even though I read this book before like I couldn't totally remember everything but the first time Plutarch shows up and he says that um like I want to make the games mean something I was like the movie really had me because I was like oh so he's he's trying to like get on Katniss's side and like stoke the fires of revolution and then he's in the role of game maker and i'm like oh wait no maybe he's the bad guy and at the end i'm like oh okay he's the good guy so i felt for the movie um the movie signifiers (laughs) but my first instinct was correct did you have a least favorite moment i i I don't like whipping scenes generally i learned that from watching (laughs) outlander so totally but again that's like not I think it's a bad scene. It's it's uncomfortable to watch. So <laughs> that's really all I can come up with.
1: I didn't like most of the Victor's tour. Yeah. One part I did love, I forgot to mention, is when Katniss goes to Haymitch's after she finds out that she has to go back to the games and um, she wants him to do everything he can to protect PETA. She says to him... It should be you going back. You hate life anyway. And I was like, damn. And then later on when she's saying goodbye to payment or around that time, she says, there's a flicker in his eyes. Pain. Aww. And that hit me. I was like, damn, He does feel things. I love him.
0: My little meow meow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my other thing and this again could be like a trilogy is a whole thing or we could talk about for this book is like what is going on between Katniss and Gale I mean I think we you and I think that Katniss doesn't really like men um like or that just romantic attraction is like not her priority and Katniss and Gail seem to have this attachment that is, like, their best friends. Um, and that it's clear that Gail is kind of upset by hers and Peta's relationship. Even, because, like, they, like, Katniss and Gail kiss, like, at the beginning of the movie, basically. Mm-hmm. And she just says that, like, I did what I had to do to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he kisses her saying that like he needed to do that at least once um, yeah so and that's where like in terms of like the popular culture discourse whatever you want to call it around this series is like the quote unquote love triangle which I remember um snobby people being salty about I don't know if they're snobby or not I don't really care but um snobby people being upset that they were just trying to make that people were just trying to make Hunger Games into Twilight because there was the love triangle in Twilight um I remember people being upset that like they're trying that people were disproportionately focusing on the love triangle when like that's as an adult, I can confidently say that's not the most important part of these books. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. So,
1: yeah, in the book they kiss as well. They only kiss the one time, but she and PETA do not speak after, or like, not much, between them getting home and the victory tour. Like, they just don't. Right. Really like, they're not actually
0: in a relationship.
1: Right. But because everyone thinks they are. She needs to have some sort of cover for her and Gale, so she refers to him and the whole of Panem knows him as her cousin. So yeah, there's that, but that, I mean, I don't really have any other thoughts on, like, the
0: actual romance itself or anything. Yeah, I kind of just feel like there's so many layers in these books and in these movies that, like, the whole Katniss and Gale thing, like... Other than reminding her of like her roots, so to speak, and like Gail is basically family to her, and like takes care of her family when she's gone, Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, what? What is the point? I guess that I guess it's just because I don't know if it's because it's not written and incorporated well enough into the whole storyline, or if it's because I personally am not that invested in. Like I don't. By that the the Gale thing is that big of a deal like the fact that he is like in love with her or whatever is like that big of a deal or like that it causes that much conflict for her but I could be wrong
1: right no I don't think so I think it's more so like he, because he is part of her life in a way that Peta is not Meaning Pete is only affiliated with her because of the games in Katniss' mind. And Gail goes out and hunts. And Gail's the one who helps her feed her family. And Gail, you know, so she associates different kinds of survival with both of them.
0: Yeah. And she has, like, more of, like, an organic relationship with... i would say whereas like she's attached to Peta not just because he's a good person and i would even say not necessarily because he's a good person but because they're the only other person to each other that knows what the other person has been through so like they're bonded by their trauma basically in a way that like obviously would not have happened had they not both been in the games totally um anything else on catching fire Not really. It's just a better, objectively a better movie than the first one, I would say, from just like a filmmaking standpoint. And that's what most people seem to agree with. But it's because they had a different director and they stayed with that director for the rest of the franchise. So that's the film fact, is that the first movie is the only one that has a different director. Okay,
1: last but not least, well, maybe least, we have Mockingjay. Um, with the first two books, I could really easily just summarize it. I don't know how to fucking summarize this one. It's just like... Ah, so much happens. There's a revolution. Yay. Cadness is the girl who was on fire. Propaganda. Mm Mm-hmm. Sexy. MILF. (laughs) A MILF as our president? Never mind, she's also evil. What? (laughs) And then that's, yeah, okay, that's my overall summary of the book. Yeah, so let's see, favorite and least favorite. I thought the only parts of this book that I actually enjoyed were the scene after President Coyne is executed and Katniss is contemplating suicide, and then immediately after that when she goes home to District 12.
0: Yeah, and that's the very end of the movie. So I guess I should say that the part one... Or that's the very end of the book. I should say that part one movie, Mockingjay part one, is... um. Yeah, where does it end? It ends with the revolution being announced by COIN. I just okay. said by president, so I'm actually not even sure if it's announced by COIN or if President Snow is saying something. Um and Peta's institutionalized because it's when Peta and Katniss are reunited and he tries to kill her because he's been, like, brainwashed by the Capitol. Right. Um, and that's basically Finnick how Is Finnick still alive at that point? Yes. Yeah, Finnick doesn't die until... Interesting. ...a ways on.
1: See, that's really interesting. I don't know why they split this one into two movies.
0: They really just wanted to stretch out all of that frickin' exposition.
1: I, I like, I, I understand why... It became trendy. I understand why Deathly Hollows did. I think it is absolutely justified. But the thing is, when I read Deathly Hollows for the first time, not remembering anything of the movies, I thought to myself, I bet this is where the first movie ends. It makes sense. And sure enough, that was exactly where the movie ended. It, it just made sense. Whereas with Mockingjay, it all felt very one note to me that's my main complaint about Jay. I guess that's starting to get into stuff about the trilogy as a whole, if that's okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember just, like, I think, like, when you were saying that, like, you know, this shit is kind of boring, I'm like, you know, come to think of it, that's probably why I didn't finish the last book. Like, it could have been losing interest in it in general, but I think I just was, like, not hooked by Mockingjay, um, the book. I found, like, the part one movie interesting just from, like, an intellectual standpoint. Um, as I was, like, explaining to you off mic just from, like, I guess what the, like, performative... And I don't mean performative in the virtue-signaling way. I mean performative in the performance way. The performative ways in which, like, revolution is signified and, like... I found it interesting how there's this kind of, like, tension between, like, Katniss having to do certain things to symbolize the revolution. And some people thought, like, Hamish thought that that stuff was kind of, like, superfluous or superficial. Versus, like, Coin and Plutarch's, like, justification behind it. Um, Like, I thought those tensions were interesting and that's only like in the first half that's not so much in the second half um that's like the main thing that had me like invested in the first part the second part is also like fine I guess I didn't know this series was never spoiled for me so I did not know how it ended so I was like the ending was um you know, exciting just because I didn't know what was going to happen. But then, like, I also don't like or understand part of the ending, so... Mm -hmm. While we're talking about
1: the third book, I think this is a good place to kind of transition into the trilogy as a whole, since this is the framing of a trilogy. I told Bibi this when I was listening to the book and was getting frustrated, but in improv, there is a form called a herald. And a herald consists of three beats, and you do three scenes in each beat. In the third beat, you come back to the, the scenes that you've already done twice, and you should never add anything new. You should wrap it up. This book <laughs> did not follow that rule. Also, it's not a herald. However, <laughs> my problem is, all of a sudden we have a ton of new characters. Um, we have all of a sudden... I'm not going to say retconning, but almost. Because we had no indication, really, that this um, game maker from Catching Fire was on their side. And that doesn't really have all that much payoff in the long run. Aside from one important thing that is needed uh, to form a revolution. There's one condition of a revolution presented there. But we'll get back to that later when we talk about politics. I think most importantly, she spends no time back at the start of things. Like, it just does not feel very grounded to me. And I know this is just a trilogy, it's not a whole series, so there isn't as much time to flesh everything out. I'm gonna go back to uh, the reason Deathly Hollows works so well as the finale of the series is because it goes back and connects to everything that had come before. Mm -hmm. There is very little that's new. Um, I mean, we learn about the Deathly Hallows, but two of those objects had already been known by Harry, and the third, he knew that, like, he knew the person who owned it. It's not like all of a sudden these three random things showed up. We go back to Gringotts, which he saw in Book 1. We use the Invisibility Cloak. Follow up on the Horcruxes that were large in book two and in book six. He goes to Godric's Hollow. It Just everything comes together in a way that makes it feel like you are very grounded in this character. And you can see the whole journey he's taken. And you feel that journey with him. And you know the emotional weight he's under because you are reliving all these things. Whereas with Mockingjay... It's really just like, President Snow's going to be mad, Uh uh-oh, over and over for like (laughs) 200 pages. And I just don't buy it. There is way too much exposition and way too much telling. I think sometimes that can work in first person because the only thing that really matters is that character's perspective. So Katniss is scared, she tells the reader she's scared, therefore we know that something scary is going on. But that only stands up for so long. And for a while, I was willing to just go along with it and take it as, like, you know, the given circumstances kind of, like, set beside my disbelief. like,
0: take it as at face value and not really, like, question it.
1: Exactly. But at a certain point, it was so repetitive, and it felt lazy. So one of my bigger questions is, like, she keeps going off about how President Snow is mad. President Snow in the past... First of all, killed Joanna's whole family. Second of all, killed Hamish's whole family when he won the games by outsmarting them. And yet when Katniss outsmarts them, or so President seems to hint, and Hamish says at the end of book one, why doesn't he kill her family? Because it will spark a revolution. Why? Then kill the people who revolt. Why didn't Hamish's family being killed spark a revolution? What makes him different? I don't know. I mean, there is the theory that, like, well, Katniss is different because she volunteered for her sister and that made people emotional. I'm sorry, but I also don't buy that she is the first person ever to volunteer in the place of a little sibling. I think any single person with a little sibling knows that, like, if you were in that situation, you'd volunteer. Yeah. So is it just that only oldest siblings are ever chosen?
0: Yeah, it's like, like, what is it about this... Particular time, like, we're not really given the particularities of why the conditions are prime for Revolution. Mm-mm. No, I just don't think.
1: I mean, Katniss thinks it herself, which I do this as a writer. I did it in the draft that you read, where I was like, my character's gonna make a list of things she needs to do. And, like, it's not necessary, it will never be in this book when it's finished, but I needed that as an author. To have the character think through things. And Katniss thinks through, there's no way that a system could be taken down by two kids eating berries. And she's fucking right. But the author was like, oh no. But it can. Because I say so. And I literally just don't (laughs) buy it. You had talked about how Rue, um, she sees Rue as prim. And that is like what leads a lot of her kindness in the arena. Um, As soon as you said that I was like hold on a second. She does not really seem like somebody who is so scary. She only really connects to her because she's like prim.
0: Yeah that's true. I guess I didn't really think about it that way. I'm calculating to see if I have any further elaborations on that point. See I'm trying to decide if that's really a fair critique. Because like she doesn't actively care about anyone else in the arena but at least from the movie it's pretty clear that she thinks the games are bullshit that's more what is motivating her not so much like i don't know like i don't know if she's as motivated by like oh shit i don't want to have to kill people so much as I shouldn't be here in the first place because the games shouldn't exist in the first place. So and then that leads her to realize like oh this 12 year old Mm -hmm. shouldn't be here. Um, I don't know I think I just had a different reading of that than you. See I don't think
1: she ever thinks about that until Rue is already dead though because the quote so like PETA mentions not wanting to be a piece in their game but the first time Katniss really sees it that way is after Rue dies, and she thinks, Rue's death has forced me to confront my own fury against the cruelty, the yeah. injustice they inflict upon us. I want to do something right here, right now, to show them that every one of us is more than just a piece in their game.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: I mean, I do think she she cares that, like, Rue died, but I, I feel like Panem, doesn't see it that way everyone sees it as like she did this for her little sister um so that's why I don't understand why she seems like such a threat because somebody did something nice for their sister right and especially when payment is so fucked up because they just killed everyone and he knows and the same thing with like every victor like why is Katniss the exception
0: yeah I think, like, the justification for keeping her family alive is to use them as pawns later down the line to, like, control her behavior. But they don't really do that. Mm-mm. So, yeah. So they would have to do that in order to, like, justify that. Unless. Unless. Um, this is the main question I have for you about Mocking Jay. Okay. Do you think, and this is something that the book might not indicate because it's in first person, but do you think that at the end of toward the end of Mocking Jay, that the bombs dropped onto the capital citizens that were seeking refuge came from President Coyne or President Snow? Oh, um, I believe it
1: is stated That they are bombs that Gale and Beattie manufactured. Because Katniss in the book is heartbroken because she knows she can never see Gale in the same light knowing that he had something to do with her sister's death.
0: Okay, yeah, that was unclear in the movie. Like, the only thing that happened after that to sort of indicate that that was an issue was when she was staying, like, by herself in the, um, you know, the taken-over capital or wherever it was that she was staying, Gail comes to visit her, and, like, she says something like, you never came to see me, and he was like, I wasn't sure if you wanted me to. Um, And it's clear that she's upset with him, but I'm just, I was confused about why that was. And then also President Snow tried to manipulate Katniss into thinking that it was Coin who sent the bombs. Yeah, it is And so it was It is Coyne. Coin's bombs. Mm-hmm. So he was telling the truth. Okay. That was like the thing that I was just like confused about. Um, but it does make sense given that it turns out that Coin isn't good isn't quote unquote good either because she's just looking for like revenge and wants to reverse the hierarchy. As opposed to making things just for everybody. So it would make sense that she would want to blow up the Capitol residents. Even though it's not entirely their fault. It's the system's fault. Um, that's where we get into the politics of it all. Wait, say that one more time. So
1: it makes... Are you saying it makes sense that Cohen would want to blow them up to kill other people?
0: Yes. because It makes sense that she would want to... Blow up the capital citizens that were trying to seek refuge. Given that when she takes over, she wants another Hunger Games with the rich people in it. Whether or not that's retcon or not, um, that's no what
1: that happens. I wouldn't consider that to be retcon because we know, yeah,
0: yeah. It's like we I know that she good. has some personal beef because like her whole family was killed. Like that's part of why she. Like prior, as part, I don't remember if it was part of the uprisings or like, it's part of her backstory that her family is dead. And she's just looking to reverse the hierarchy and be the new president in charge. I have one last thing
1: on the trilogy and then we can get into like uh, a couple tropes and then politics time. What I was saying about combining the books, here's my proposal <laughs> to Miss Suzanne Collins. Instead of the Victory Tour, Why don't they start the events of Mockingjay? Meaning, why doesn't she start these propaganda things and then she's called back into the games again? And, like, that's the way they pull her away from this organization. Because, like, in order to have a revolution, a group has to be organized and mobilized. Mm -hmm. So what better way to unmobilize them than pulling her back into the Hunger Games? That's a good point. Um, that's that was my saved theory.
0: some soldiers'
1: lives. That brings me to something else that kind of had me scratching my head during these books, which is why is it District Twelve that has this whole uprising and like the quote-unquote chosen one, when District Eleven is repeatedly shown and described as Katniss herself as being way worse off.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that didn't quite sit right with me as I was watching the movie, because when you see scenes of people from District 11, there are more black people. And we don't really know mm-hmm. how race operates in The Hunger Games beyond appearance. It's colorblind, so to speak. But, like, like there's no specification on, like, how race operates in this society other than the way that we the way that you visually see it in the movie by casting. Gotcha, So, gotcha. like, there seems to be more people who are black in District 11 than 12. And then, like, District 12 becoming the, like, beacon of revolution when you consider what you just said, that District 11 is more policed and more, um, or is, like, worse off. It was. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was a little bit, you know... It was a little bit um, iffy for me. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's it's a little interesting to me, and this can probably go into your question about whether, like, Rue is the true Mockingjay or not, but it's interesting to me how Katniss becomes the figurehead and District 12 becomes, like, the site of revolution when, as we've established, like, I don't know. I'm just saying that it, like, doesn't sit right with me like it doesn't know i agree with me that it's like very white if we're talking based on just like casting choices mm-hmm. um because we don't have any other cont- context really for how race works
1: yeah i guess we can talk a little bit more about like the chosen one trope so for me um i think i'll use harry potter as a comparison again since i I think that's probably the most widely read example of a chosen one in YA literature. Yeah. Something that I did find very interesting is Katniss never wanted to be in this position. She was kind of forced into it. Um, And the same thing occurs in Harry Potter. I mean, he never masterminded any of these plans. He was kind of tricked into it by Dumbledore. And we see that again. But I would argue that it happens too late in the series. Uh, with Mockingjay, that is. But the idea that she like sort of becomes the Mockingjay because she volunteers for her sister. As we already established, I don't buy that she's the only one to ever do so. I just don't. And then that she's the only one to outsmart the capital. We know that she's not because Haymitch did 25 years ago. Beatty also outwitted everyone like it's even joanna outwitted everyone by pretending she was a weakling basically anyone who's not a career would have to have just outsmarted people right to win yeah so i we've gone over this several times now but i don't really know what the conditions are that make this um the the spark of the revolution yeah like what was the last straw And I mean, there's plenty of things that could be argued, like, well, it's because they were partners and they were both going to die. Okay. Are you going to tell me that nobody else ever loved anyone when they were sentenced to the Hunger Games?
0: Because I don't think that's true. Um, I do have a question for you in regards to trilogy, or not trilogy, but like genre. So... One of my, I guess, like, gripes with this series, and it's not... It might not even be a founded gripe, but just because, like, I feel like you understand things like dystopia and sci-fi and, like, fantasy more than I do, is that, like, there are the mutts... um, There's, like, the guys in underwater in the tunnels that kill Finnick that are muts. Mm-hmm. there are like the beast things which I think are in the first movie but could also be in the second movie is that ringing a bell in the arena yeah. there's like beasts um, yeah that are like I'm assuming also mutts and then there's like the jabberjay and the mockingjay and these are kind of like not, they're not natural beings to us. They're, like, man-made or, like, you know, a result of whatever, I guess you would call it, like, modernization or technological advances that has happened in this society. But to me, like, the creatures coming out of, like, the tunnel underwater to attack People in Mockingjay, even though that those are things that were like clearly planted by the Capitol, I think I was just—it just seemed like out of pocket to me. And the reason for that being is that there were so few of these weird creatures throughout the trilogy that whenever they did show up, I'm like, how is this part of the world? I guess. Like, that was a really roundabout way of asking it. But I felt like... um I don't know. I felt like any of the creatures that were in the movies were strange. Like, it didn't seem like that belonged in, like, the conventions that were established. But I could be, like, way off. Like, no, I, think I think of think things more technologically in terms of, like the um the like shield or the force field that's on top of the arena that breaks and like um the The
1: trackers injected them
0: yeah and like the magical or not really magical but like the healing things and stuff like that like I think of that as like okay that tracks but then like when it comes to like living creatures there was so few that and meanwhile, you see, like, a normal dog or a normal deer somewhere that it didn't, like, f- fit in to me. It was strange. Yeah,
1: I guess trying to, like, think about it and find a way to justify it. Um, so we know they were genetically modified by the capital and created as weapons during the initial uprising. To me, it makes sense that the Capitol would use them in The Hunger Games and in other uh, very um, high-profile and, and widely-viewed circumstances, like the, the public attacks that happen, you know, on Finnick and stuff, that I'm pretty... I don't know if they're being... I don't remember if those are being broadcast, but, like, it's still a big deal people are going to hear about. Um, I could see it as a way for them to remind people of their dominance and of the technological advances that they hold over people.
0: it's part of, like, the social control.
1: Yeah, but I definitely see what you mean about it, like, not quite fitting. Because when you kind of think about it, a lot of the technology is there for convenience, which is fair. I mean, as a writer, you have to, like, make things work you can't make everything so convoluted yeah (laughs) yeah so i get it um but i I guess it's a fair argument to make um they probably should have just been used more
0: right that's the thing is i'm like whenever they came up it was just it seemed like out of pocket and not like consistent with like the rest of the functions of the world of panem and like the hunger games
1: yeah, I feel that especially with Jay Because in in the first Hunger Games, they're in there quite a bit. And then in the second one, we don't see them until the arena, which is, again, 66% of the way through the book.
0: And then my other question, I have another question for you that's not related to Revolution. Okay, so we already sort of talked about Hamish and Effie, but I wanted to know from you, is there anything else in the book's... That like indicates that they have like a flirtation going on or that. No, like, ma'am. What the fuck? So, where did that come from? So, like, why were we so like fixated on that as young people when you get like scraps? Because there's like in the movies, they're together in scenes, but they're not usually interacting with each other except for like just a couple of lines. So we really took those like minuscule scraps and ran with them, and they became a whole thing. Like I know friend of the Supo- friend of the pod Sophia like ships them a lot too, um, and th- that was like a really big deal for her when they were out as well, like when the movies were out. So I'm like, how did we, <laughs> how did we take that and really just run with it?
1: <laughs> I honestly don't know. There's like one line in the first book about how um, Effie just thinks that. Hametch just has a few bad manners that can be corrected. Um, like, things like that. And I'm like, wow, if she really sees the good in people. Paddington yeah. Bear would be so proud.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, like, in um, the first part of mocking Jay, maybe? Yeah, because, like, Effie's not thrilled that she cannot do her hair and makeup in the underground District 13. Um, which, we can put a pin in that and talk about that when it comes to, like, aesthetics of revolution, but, um, like, and Hamish also has to get sober. And he says, or she says something like, I like you better when you're sober, and he says, I like you better without all that makeup. I think it's reversed. I think he initiates the exchange. Um, But there's, like, that, and then there's, like, the scenes with them in the train car in the first movie there's not a whole lot between them in the second movie that i can remember off the top of my head but i'm just kind of like wow we really took those scraps and ran with it i mean like woody harrelson and elizabeth banks for like the little that they have actually interacting with each other like they do have really good chemistry so obviously that must have just been it that <laughs> it was like yeah okay we'll take these people um like i said like i like the opposites attract trope so that's probably like part of the appeal for me and they and they kiss in the last they movie they do <laughs> they really gave us that it, again it's like a split second but it's like it's very tender and it's very sweet and the confusing part about it though is like it it, it they're acting as if they're not going to see each other again and i'm like why is that because everything's fine now Like, they're supposed to be hypothetically, like, equal citizens. So, it seemed like when Hamich was saying, like, goodbye to her, it was, like, it seemed like it was, like, permanent. But, I don't know. On to Vive la Revolution.
1: I mean, I have, like, some notes, but I think you should start. But, also, your perspective slash your um definition of revolution uh or like what it means to discuss it in this context is different than mine so we should both explain like what we mean by like revolution and i know you said performative you should like explain what you mean by that you can go first just uh tell us what you mean by performative and then i'll tell you Um, what I mean, too.
0: Yeah, so performative means a lot of things, um, and it also doesn't mean things. So performative can be considered an act of, like, self-fashioning. Like, the most commonly given explanation is gender, because Judith Butler um, coined that performativity, Um, is that we receive signifiers of gender Whether that be like how you're expected to dress if you're a certain gender um, or behave or the types of relationships you're supposed to have and all that. And you internalize those signals from society and then you start making choices that align with or don't align with those like symbols or like, you know, choices. Um, Which is a version of being performative. It's referred to as performativity. Or, keeping with the self-fashioning, performative, is to give an example from, like, The Hunger Games is the Mockingjay as a symbol, like the pin that Katniss wears, and then later on she has the dress. That is um, a performative move in that she's signifying resistance. I think that's where I'm going to leave that for now. But then if you think of performance, performance is or can be considered a, like, speech or action that brings something forth or that has social consequences. So when it's, you know, it's fashionable now to say performative activism, and when people say that, They really mean, like, usually, I believe they really mean, like, virtue signaling. So, like, appearing to support a certain cause so that you get recognition and social capital or, like, you know, validation or whatever versus doing things that actually impact a certain cause. Something can be performative and create social change. Because, if you think of performative and performance, that those are actions that have social consequences, basically. So, hopefully that was clear. I'm not used to speaking these things in words, only writing them. No, you're good. I just wanted to make sure that performative wasn't
1: like, oh, performative activism, that's what Katniss is, or something like that. Yeah, no,
0: no, no, no. Which is why I found... Mockingjay Part One particularly interesting um, because of the things she's being told to do are symbols and are things that seem like kind of like shitty. Honestly, like um, I think there's like one point where like a bunch of people blow up or something, and she's immediately told to like make a statement about it, and you can tell that she feels uncomfortable with that however her being the Mockingjay and her making a statement about it is necessary for the change to happen because she needs to mobilize people and um, those like her utterances like her speech regarding that incident is a performance. Um, But it actually has consequences because it's getting people riled up in places where she would not otherwise be able to reach them. Um, So that's like kind of a simple-ish explanation of it. And um, so that's what I'm interested in. And like I said, I was interested in in Mockingjay Part 1 because a lot of that is like they're trying to cultivate this image of her so that she's able to like get people on board with the revolution and there's things like um like her having to say certain things or wear certain things that like she's kind of skeptical about and like Hamish is kind of se- skeptical about but these things do actually matter um And I'm trying to come up with, like, a more specific example.
1: I mean, what you said about, like, the bombing and her making a statement. Yeah, that's probably,
0: like, a sufficient example. (laughs) Um, Totally. And then, so, what
1: did you think of when um, she had to record the first propaganda videos and she was given this, like, scripted thing and then it was shitty, so Hamish told her to just, like, go let her be herself. How would you fit that into this, like,
0: deconstruction? Um, it's kind of complicated because in theory, the sim, like, her being used as a symbol, she should know the ins and outs of what is going on, and she doesn't seem to know. So this kind of goes back to the chosen one thing of like, they think there is something special about her and that's why they chose her. And there's this kind of like weird thing of like these adults who are more aware of this oppression and have been planning this for a long time. Like the people in district 13 have been cooking this up for a while. There's something a little strange about them grafting that onto her but I think it's because she has that, like, public appeal that she can get away with not necessarily being, like, an informed speaker, if that makes sense. Like, she... There's this kind of, like, aura around her that, like, she doesn't have to do what we suggest because the people like her, and that is more important to us. Um, which we know is dangerous because that can lead to, like cults of personality. (laughs) Um, The other things I found interesting in terms of like the self-fashioning, like going back to um, like the fact that the people in District 13 all wear the same clothes. It's like a uniform. So that's kind of like a um, like an equalizer and a unifying um, thing for the people and since they want like equality or a more just society it makes sense that they all dress the same which means that also Effie can't wear like ridiculous hair pieces anymore um so there's that and then what's interesting and I should go back and like see why this exactly happens but Haymitch has to get sober and I don't quite remember if they give a reason for that or if they just needed an excuse for him to be away for a while or not. But at some point during Mocking Jay, he comes back and he's sober. And um, what I've been like researching about the young lords, which were the Puerto Rican revolutionary nationalist group in the 19 1960s and 70s, the members were expected to be clean. Like, I think they could drink and smoke, maybe, if they weren't, like, participating in a particular activity or in a meeting, but they were expected to not use drugs. So I just thought that was, like, um, interesting as well, that there's this almost, like, a purity that's expected of you if you're going to be part of, like, a revolutionary movement. And then you can you can also think about Cinna and the way that he um, uses like Katniss's clothes to help cultivate like her image as the mocking jay and he gets punished for it. That's all for now. I'll add more if I think of more
1: things. Yeah, that's interesting since Cinna, as I mentioned earlier, asked to be with District 12. So it seems like he is some sort of revolutionary. And again, yeah, that the question, Yeah, it seems like, like he
0: was in on it. Like, oh, retrospect, sure. he yeah. was in on, like, he probably knew that District 13 was existing. In existence mm-hmm. still.
1: I'm trying to, like, script doctor this. Okay. Here's my proposition. I mean, I already fixed books, two and three, by combining them. No, just kidding. <laughs> I didn't really go much into detail on that. I would just move things around a bit. But, okay, Katniss grows up in District 12. She provides food for people. What if one of these people was Haymitch because he refuses to take food from the capital? And so she, like, brings food to this old man who's, like, maybe, well, her mom knew... The girl who went in with Haymitch, so it makes sense that her mother knew Haymitch at some point. Or, Haymitch was friends with Katniss's dad. When Katniss's dad died, Katniss took his place and brought food to Haymitch. So, either way, she connects with Haymitch. She becomes a revolutionary. Haymitch sees to it, because he has draws the capital, that Prim's name is drawn, so that Katniss can volunteer.
0: Like, it could have been engineered all along.
1: Yeah. Could be. And I know that, like, also gives Cadness power, which, in the first book, like, I, I genuinely feel like the first book could have been, like, rewritten as a horror book. Like, it's terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah. But it does not have that tone to it, really. Maybe because it's a YA, but there's some very gruesome YA stuff out there. Um, Especially, like, YA for slightly older audiences. But, again, I guess this is meant, quote-unquote, for preteens. But, yeah, I just feel like there are ways where the idea that Katniss is the Mockingjay could have been more intentional and more powerful. Yeah. Instead of a reaction
0: that any human may have. To seeing a 12-year-old die. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Or the knowing the potential that a 12-year-old could die, meaning that, like, you know, her sister um, mm-hmm. could have been there and not her.
1: But now I'm going to transition to, to my little notes on revolution. Okay, so I took a class in college called War and Revolution, and it was very interesting. When looking at um, revolution through, like, an academic lens and and I guess like deconstructing them there are two main approaches that scholars take and they do overlap but most people uh depending on kind of their focus have one of these viewpoints so there's like the cultural element of revolution and the structural element of revolution Um, The structural is more so connected to Marxism, whereas the cultural um, isn't necessarily connected to any one strain of political thought, but rather more interested in examining society as a whole. Structural approaches say revolutions are imminent, whereas cultural says revolutions are crafted. With either one, a revolution requires five different things and these are the things. Number one, mass discontent. Number two, elite discontent. Number three, state crisis. Number four, unifying motivations. And number five, permissive world context. Okay, so when it comes to the Hunger Games, We already know we have one of these five things, which is permissive world context. Because where the fuck is the rest of the world? Why (laughs) has this happened to Panem? Um, We don't know. It's just a given circumstance. But either way, United Nations is not going to interfere here. So we already have a world that is allowing everything in Panem to happen with no interference. That was something else I started counting as I was reading Mockingjay is how many war crimes were committed throughout the trilogy. <laughs> trilogy because how many crimes I, against humanity? <laughs> yeah, what the fuck happened to, like, the Geneva Convention? Did they just shred that little document? Did Panem leave the United <laughs> Nations? Is that, is that why there was, like, the original uprising? Maybe that's what caused it. Could be. They wanted to commit war crimes, so they, they said no, ma'am. <laughs> um, anyways, that one is met. And then mass discontent, so this would be like working class people, people who are not associated with the um, governmental structure currently in place. We know that this is present by Catching Fire um, on the Victor's Tour because we see little uprisings happening, and then a little later on in Catching Fire we hear about different districts who had like riots and stuff. So we are shown that there's mass discontent. Elite discontent, I could argue that this is shown in Catching Fire when all the tributes hold hands, meaning these are already people who have won the Hunger Games and who are now upset that they have to go back into the Hunger Games. Like they've already won their no longer they're, at risk They're, like, of being... upwardly
0: mobile. Like, they've ascended yeah. to, like,
1: elite status. Right. But also, like, most of them have the- had their families killed. Finnick is forced to work as a prostitute. So, like, are they really elite? Right. Like, I don't really think they have that much power if they're able to be thrown back into the games. So, who is elite? Effie? Question mark? is Hamish? Not really. I could see Sina being considered. And then the game maker, of course, in Catching Fire, I would consider him to be elite. But already by this this point is like, where the idea of there actually being like the conditions for a revolution like falls apart for me. Because I mean, we'd, we've discussed this whole time, like, why is there a revolution happening. And like, if you break it down to these very specific academic concepts, like they're just not there. A state crisis, like there's nothing that unsettles
0: Panem that changes it. Yeah. Um, Like what constitutes as a state crisis? So like, is the, is 12 districts living in poverty, a state crisis, or is it more of a crisis of like, so I
1: guess, no, a state crisis could be people living in poverty. However, we assume that has been around since the last rebellion and right. nothing has really changed. It, there's no, like, inciting incident of that. So with, like, the Russian Revolution, the state crisis involved in that was the debt that, quote, Russia was in following um, World War I. Yeah. And because they went broke from that, that's that's essentially the state crisis that gave way for this. But with Hunger Games, I don't really think that like 75 years of structural poverty makes room for a state crisis.
0: Yeah. It's like there was no final straw unless you consider exactly. like Rue dying to be a final straw. But there's already, like, they've already presupposed that Katniss is this chosen one before that even happened. So, again, just (laughs) rehashing shit. (laughs) And Um, then there's, uh, yeah, go ahead. I also have a question. Has there ever been a point in history where there has actually been elite discontent? Or do you just have to kill the elite? (laughs) No, no, there have been. Um... (laughs) I guess you consider the people that settled here in the U.S.? I'm thinking,
1: (laughs) right, well, yeah, so, okay, the way that I would explain it is, um, now, they don't necessarily have to be on the same side of the discontent, It, it, I don't know, it's kind of tricky, so, like, with the French Revolution, the elite were considered, like, the clergy and the landowners, and then the masses were people who didn't own land. After there was a new constitution introduced, some things were kind of, like, changed uh, so that land could be owned by more people and stuff like that. And that made the clergy angry at the government itself. So the elite um, are people with like who have control over the government and who the government caters to, but is not the government itself. Which is kind of tricky with the Hunger Games because all of the capital just kind of blends into one. Um, like, yeah, there's the president, but then... Who else is there in the government? Do they have a Congress? Is there a board of people who
0: make the games? He seems um, just... to have a cabinet and, like, a, a like a defense minister or something because the defense minister, I'm not entirely sure what his role is, but that's what he seems like to me, gets poisoned by Snow. Totally. Because he starts, like, um, questioning him. But.
1: Yeah, and we know the game makers, but they're, like kind of hired I guess by the capital to put this thing on um I guess in Mockingjay we do see a couple people who are like from the capital come but it's not enough what like five people or something I don't know um they just never really like connect and then unifying motivations is pretty much exactly what it sounds like where both the masses and the elite want to resolve something in the same way Or at least, like, get rid of the current system of power. So, um, a revolution itself is when, it's not just when you attempt to take down a system, but when you successfully, uh, bring down that system and replace it with a new one. The motivation, at its most basic, would be to take down the current system and replace it with a new one. But we don't even ever get that, because it turns out that Alma Coyne wants to keep the Hunger Games As does, or as do, like, five of the people who are on the side of the rebellion. Did they do that vote in the movie? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like, if this whole thing is about the Hunger Games, which it seems it is because nobody ever really mentions, like, the poverty all the districts are living in, everything is incited by the games itself, why would they want to keep the Hunger Games around? Like, yes, I get to punish people, but that is not a new system. And right. I think that's why as a story of revolution the Hunger Games falls apart.
0: Well that's why Katniss decides to kill Coin, is because first of all the masses ended up killing Snow anyway because everybody hated him. Right. But that's why she had to kill Coin because she realized that she was just going to replicate the system of oppression. So then um Paler is democratically elected, which is the new system. If nothing,
1: like, President Coyne and whoever else didn't want things to change, then there's, like, a different group within the revolution who do want it to change. But as far as we see, that's, like, Katniss and um, the other people who voted no. Yeah. Plus whoever, I guess, follows Katniss, which, I mean, I guess is part of why revolutions are complicated. Because if you look at, like... The, even the French Revolution, one of my favorite things about that I learned about the French Revolution was there was a document written called um, A Declaration of Rights of Man, and it basically just lists, like, all these um, God-given rights mm-hmm. that men have. Just by being born, you have these rights, and that it's not up to the, the government to give them to you, and then this woman... Alim de Gouges wrote her own version of the document and called it the Declaration of Rights of Women, and it's the exact same document but every time it says man she replaced it with woman. Girl boss. <laughs> um but she ended up being uh beheaded at the guillotine because anyone who was too revolutionary was eventually sentenced, you know, to death at the guillotine. But a uh, mockingjay is not long enough for President coin to have established herself as a new regime that then must be overthrown a second time. Yeah. Like, Mockingjay just doesn't do that. There's just kind of like, okay, Katniss, here's the plan. Oh my god, turns out she's evil. And then Katniss kills her. Like, I just don't feel like it's fleshed out enough to justify there being, um, like, we just don't see enough. It's all just told to us. And we just accept it
0: yeah i think um the way i read it is that coin was taking advantage of people um that were genuinely wanting a new system and not just to like get revenge on the elites Mm -hmm. um and to put the like reverse the hierarchy and um like punish the elites even though like I don't know enough details about Panem, but I don't think it's really the elite, individual elite's fault, but, like, the system of government that um, just, you know, maintains the the capital citizens on top and then the district citizens on the bottom. So I think um, if, <laughs> if you want to use, like, performative activism in the way that, like, people think it means, which is, like, virtue signaling, um, that would be coin Because she's, she's using the language of a people's movement, a people's uprising, and, like, spreading this, like... Or, like, raising consciousness about how bad the capital is, but really she just wants the power herself. So I think... Like I read it as she was taking advantage of all of the revolutionaries, and some of some of them bought into it, and others did not. And Katniss obviously realized that that's what she was doing, and, and that that was wrong, um, and that wasn't going to be a true revolution.
1: I don't know. Maybe I just don't. Maybe I just don't like that <laughs> as a a plot device. Like the leader of this like revolution, who we don't meet until the final chapter of the trilogy, uh, actually doesn't want it after all,
0: or, like... Or maybe she doesn't understand what it means, like, maybe she doesn't actually, um, like, get what justice means, (laughs) like... I guess so, but
1: then, in that case, like, doesn't... does anyone? Is, like, Katniss the only one, plus the few people who voted for her? Or, like, what do the people think the actual revolution is? Do they just think it's the capital? And in that case, like, what do they think is going to replace it? And two, more importantly, if the games aren't a factor for them, then what is the revolution about?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they assume that under a democratically elected leader, who we know is Commander, Commander Paylor, um, I think they assume that the Hunger Games will cease to exist and that Um, they won't be expected to, um, like, produce goods for the capital in the way that they have, like, that they are not going to be, like, kept in poverty. Um, but, like, as you said, like, we don't get enough of, like, details about what that looks like other than they don't want, like, a totalitarian regime anymore. Um, And they don't want the Hunger Games anymore. But, like, there's not really details about, like, what their material and, like, everyday lives will look like after that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times there's not with the revolution. So,
1: like, that's that's fair, (laughs) I guess. It's just, like, as a reader and from seeing this story from Katniss's point of view and then, like, trying to see this, like, as a story about revolution... I don't know. I feel like there's just something missing for me. It could be a me problem. And that's okay. I have a lot of those. (laughs) And I accept
0: that. Mm, There was part of me that was like, this is lazy writing to make Coin the bad guy. But then there was another part of me that was like, wait, this is actually kind of smart because this is what happens in real life.
1: For sure. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah. It's it's so hard because on one hand I'm like, this is not a good story about revolution because it's incomplete, but on the other hand, like most revolutions are exactly like you said. And so it yeah, makes sense. I that think coin of is-
0: like revolution, like just based on like my education and like you know, what I'm learning as like a process and not like a finished product. So I think I've been think like when we've been talking about this, I've been thinking of it as like a process or like almost a verb whereas you've been thinking of it as like what is the end goal and you're right that the end goal is never articulated in like a utopian sense so i'm wondering like since i don't know dystopia super well as a genre is the victory in dystopia is the happy ending in dystopia for it to be a utopia or
1: i don't know i haven't read enough dystopia to say yeah
0: You know, there's people that do a bunch of theorizing about utopia and, like, and it's related to performance and, like, what, um, like, you can rehearse a revolution, essentially, by acting in a certain way. Um, like, so, for example, if you don't have rights, like, if you don't have equal rights or you, like, grew up poor or something and you start fashioning yourself as someone who dresses super well, that's, like, a, almost, like, a performance of Utopia of, like, this is what your ideal life would be, Um, even if that's not what, like, the actual reality is. So, like, the ideal life and the ideal end result of the revolution are, like, not articulated well, and they don't spend enough time getting to the part where, like, their afterlife in the new regime, the new regime or the new system of government is like, um, like actualized, I guess. So really, it's a question if it's like a flaw in the writing from like a literary standpoint, or if like, or if nobody really knows what revolution is. <laughs>
1: Okay, moving on from politics, I have a fun discussion question for us. Much like our Scream episode, we talked about ourselves as a final girl. How do you think we would play in the Hunger Games? I think first we should answer for each other, and then answer for ourselves. So like what we think the other person would do, um, and then we'll we'll explain our side of the story and how we perceive ourselves. I know you don't really like to be perceived, though, but, like, I'll be gentle.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hate being perceived. Um, but then I also, like, ask people to perceive me because I don't trust how I perceive myself. <laughs> so, um, okay, I think Abby would be quick on her feet, not physically, but mentally for sure. Like, Abby is pretty good at, like, quick decision-making. Um, I think it'd be hard for her to form alliances because she is not one to go along with a bad plan. And the chances that somebody has a bad plan are pretty high. Like, there's too many, like, there's a lot of planning involved. And when plans involve other people, that just, like, does not bode well for her. But then again, that means that she could be, like, a very good leader of of an alliance. Um, Should I guess, like, how long you would make it? I think Abby would escape, like, the first several days where, like, the first, like, 50% of people die. I think, given that there's, like, 24 people in the Hunger Games, you could probably make it to, like, top eight.
1: Wow. <laughs> I think Brianna would not have a good time during training. So I think that you would try to learn, um, like, the survival skills way more than combat. Um, So like, you'd learn what you can eat, because you're a Taurus, and how to make a fire, um, and how to build a little shelter, and things like that, and then... I feel like you'd be someone who would just kind of, like, hide and and lay low. Um, And, like, if you saw anyone while you were, like, you know, running around the woods, you'd just be, like, hey, (laughs) and walk away, (laughs) and scurry off, and then hide until there's, like, an attack from the capital itself in the arena (laughs) that forces you to move. Um, But, yeah, I also, I think the way you would finally succumb is... So BB drinks a lot of fucking water. Um, I feel like she would be like, damn it, I need some water. So you would you would drink some water before fully cleaning it. <laughs> and you would be poisoned. You would drink a lot of water, which means you have to pee a lot. And just while you're taking a piss <laughs> mm-hmm. right in the back.
0: <laughs> yup. Yeah, I didn't really predict how you would go.
1: I know how I would go, but I want to hear your idea.
0: Um, maybe injury? I did
1: not dance on nationals or, on a partially torn ACL.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like you would get ca- like, by that I mean I feel like you would get caught by somebody, like, Oh yeah, Lord running. knows I can't um, run. <laughs> or... I don't know. I feel like maybe you might just get like delusional at some no, point and make like a bad choice. My idea was I would. <laughs> like you would like step off a cliff or something. Like. No,
1: literally. I was going to say,
0: I would just get bored. <laughs> and... I think you would like lose your mind and then yeah. your decision making would be impaired.
1: I absolutely agree. I was thinking like the way I would go is I would get bored like a week, a week and a half in and I would just start doing dumb shit. And, like, to try and pass the time. I think I'd probably try and, like, pick up a new hobby in the arena.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you'd be, like, learning how to make, like, all these new weapons and shit or something. Or you'd be, like... Yeah. Developing a code to, like, communicate with people. (laughs) Like, drawing stuff in the dirt. True.
1: I, yeah, I so would. And then it would, like, backfire somehow. (laughs) Or I'm just, like, so bored and then I, I hit a depressive episode. I lay there... I start singing Liability by Lord and it gives me away. (laughs) (laughs) Something stupid like that.
0: Yeah, I feel like you're more, this is so dark, I feel like you're more welcoming of death than I am, so like you might just like That's
1: interesting.
0: Like for yourself I don't know, because I feel like you have like worse depression than me I guess. You have like less functional depression. Yeah. So you might just like Take the
1: L. Pop a few berries for fun. (laughs) Just to feel something for that ounce of serotonin. Yeah. And that fruity, fruity flavor hits my tongue.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, See, I would do horribly in the Hunger Games. And let me tell you why. I'm also hypoglycemic. so (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Like, you're right that I would study a lot about the foods because I need to know that shit that is like priority number one I will not make it (laughs) I have like no chance if I don't know what I can eat and when I can eat it and how it becomes available to me so like that's like yeah I don't see myself making it too long um I also think that what you said about me like hiding and having like a low profile is pretty accurate because I'm like I don't I'm just, like, not aggressive. Like, I don't have, like, an aggressive bone in my body. So, like, I don't want to be in a situation where I have to, like, fight anybody ever. I also kind of lack, like, street smarts. So I Hmm, could potentially make a very stupid choice at some point. Um, Just by, like... You would tell one of the... (laughs) Yeah.
1: You would tell one of the careers that they're being really performative. (laughs) And then they'd stab you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know so I do not think I would make it very long personally maybe the f- maybe the first day <laughs> I'll get through the first 24 hours and then we'll see and then I'll like wither away because I haven't had enough like food or water ugh
1: me and the hunger games okay yeah I I pretty much agree that like I would just get fucking bored and you're right I'd probably just us of <laughs> being myself but also I feel like it depends who was in that fucking arena because if there are
0: some annoying motherfuckers in there <laughs> I know that saying. you will be after them <laughs> you will not want to die at the hands of them
1: no like I and like I would never harm any of them in real life obviously so like FBI agent listening to this
0: but like in this context that's like a nightmare scenario.
1: <laughs> um, what else did I wanna say about like the Hunger Games? Um well, everyone should follow my Twitter if you don't already. It's at Abby She Wrote. Um like murder she wrote, but Abby She Wrote. Because every so often, um, I host virtual Hunger Games events. Um And I started doing them using the Hunger Games Simulator online where you can, like, film people's names. But recently I made my own, like, actual RPG system to use. And it's been super fun. And I might do another one soon because...
0: People eat this shit up. Dear listener, people eat it up. (laughs) Our, like, like half-dozen friends from undergrad and then, like, a few randos really eat this shit up.
1: (laughs) It's... Just so fun because I I think the last one was um, for my birthday and I made like a trailer for it. Mm-hmm.
0: That one was elaborate. And, you made play um, player cards basically like I profiles did. for us.
1: And I think it came out mm-hmm. pretty good. B became in second place. Yeah, I think I was pretty proud of like the storylines I came up with because you know I got these roles and I just had to like decide what they meant. And I was like I built this whole little, this whole little yeah. arc. My favorite was when Marco pushed someone off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I might host another one soon. Maybe that's an idea for this week. Maybe that will make me love myself.
0: Yeah, give us some promo. Give you an, a concrete activity to do. It's not just, like, screaming into your Google Docs. <laughs> that's all. There's so much to unpack with those books that there's no way we could cover it all or even like in my case like retain every single thing that happens (laughs) or even like my opinions about them because just like the movies are so long they're really only like two and a half hours which I don't know why that's difficult for me but maybe it was just like the pacing of the stories themselves that I was just like when is (laughs) when is it gonna be over
1: You got me there. Um, anyways, dear listener, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your best friend who you saw the Hunger Games with in 2011, and perhaps shared some popcorn with at Catching Fire. Um, we would love to grow our listener base into other quirky little young adults like us. Mm -hmm. You can also follow us on Twitter at what's next pod C and we would love to hear from you. So reach out anytime with a little tweet. Um, also, if you have any suggestions or requests of things you would like us to cover on the pod, feel free to drop us a line, because... Yeah,
0: if there's anything that you desperately want us to talk about, you want to hear our specific voices on it, because I know they matter <laughs> so much, <laughs> please let us know.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> we, we have, like, a couple of ideas, but, you know, like, Hunger Games and Twilight, those are kind of, like, fun things from our youths. Um so I'm open to any other suggestions. But yeah, um thank you so much for
0: listening. Bye besties. Thanks, bye. <laughs>